talk about revolution that's going a little bit too far. So love me, love me, love me. Hello, and welcome back to another wonderful, entertaining episode of More Like the Worst Wing, uh, in which we take a look at Aaron Sorkin's classic hit from the 90s-slash-2000s, The West Wing, and here we are with Season 2, Episode 4, In This White House, uh, is what it is entitled, which is referring to our new character, who is introduced right in our cold open right away, uh, Ainsley Hayes, which one of this episode's subplots will center around her. She is a uh, self-described, or not self-described, but as described by the host of the show, that Sam is going on as a blonde, leggy, Republican sex kitten. <laughs> More woman, war criminals. <laughs> yeah. So Sam is going on this, like, Sunday morning show, um, Capital Beat, which is the fictional Sunday show that they've established in the it's, West Wing it's universe. It's Crossfire, and that, basically. Yeah, yeah, and they'll keep coming back to it over and over. I kind of like that little bit of continuity, that, like, we get the same Capital Beat host yeah. over and over. And I do get to remember that every time that Jon Stewart basically destroyed Tucker Carlson's first attempt at a <laughs> career by owning him so oh, hard man. on Crossfire. <laughs> Still one of the best moments ever. <laughs> Uh, I can't believe y'all should look that up show. if you haven't seen it. He killed yeah. a whole show, like, like with almost like a one genre little show. discussion. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, oh man, but anyway, so yeah, so they're on this show and they're discussing an education funding bill, and Sam's making a point about textbook funding and how the Republicans were against it. Uh, and during this point, he keeps mentioning Kirkwood, Oregon, Kirkwood, Oregon, because they can't afford like 40% or 40% of the people of the classes in Kirkwood, Oregon have no textbooks or can't afford textbooks or something like that. And despite Sam being wonky knower of all things trivia, who just in last episode uh, defined a weird word that Bartlett said, like, does anyone know what the definition of... Uh, a looker deer or whatever the fuck the word was and sam's like yes i know this uh <laughs> sam trivia knower of all things gets a city wrongs just so that ainsley can smugly own him about the fact that kirkwood is in california and not oregon and it, it's very weird yeah, where well, just basically they're writing sam to be dumb in this moment when, like, the def- one of the defining character traits of Sam is his nerdy knowledge about so many things. Yeah, about obscure topics. And that's why, yeah. uh, ostensibly, that's why they use him to go on the To go on the show, show, because he's such a good, like, wonk about this yeah. kind of crap, and he can keep all the numbers and facts straight in his head. It's weird for him to make an amateur mistake, and it's clearly just done narratively to make Ainsley look, like, smarter, more competent, better, because that's going to be her plot going forward, is that, wow, she's so smart and competent, why don't we hire her, even though she's a Republican? Yeah, and... Which is basically her whole plot. Well, and it moves into, from there, this utter... And speaking of, like, Sam going against yeah, type here... now let's dig into the... That was just what happened. Now let's dig into the reaction ba- Basically, in the, the whole White House staff freaks out in real time as they're watching this broadcast... And coming in, like, uh, Josh is like, holy shit, Sam's getting his ass kicked by a girl. <gasps> Gasp! Like, like, and and so this is... And then Toby runs off and says, Ginger, make the popcorn, which is a quotable <sighs> moment that gets gift forever yeah. in, like, the Twittersphere. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and this, this... But it's such a weird, like, sexist mentality of, like, the worst thing that can happen to a man is getting is getting owned by a woman. And every member like, of the administration the buys in on this. 
Right, like, like they all instantly the have this episode. mentality. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Sam has never been written as, like, fragile about his masculinity in any way, shape, or form before this. But then later on in the episode, Donna will walk by and just simply go, Hey, Sam. And he goes, What? Are you making, like, a joke? Are you, like, are you, like, you know, doing a thing now? Like, he's, he's all salty and fragile about being owned by a woman on television. And it's, again, this isn't the character. They're just writing him different to make to make a, this weird narrative point about how cool Ainsley is. Yeah, and I feel like uh, between the actress having some good talent and the the skill of the writers yes. generally, like why? I, I will go on to praise uh, the actress who plays Ainsley because she does great work in her scene with Leo later on. It's just the character is written so poorly. Yeah, and like they have these other like tools at their disposal. Why are we falling back to this hackish dependency on? Oh, you know, my masculinity is so threatened by right. Oh, uh, this this woman who happens to be as good as this shit at this shit as I am. Right, and then later on they get into a much more substantial argument when she brings up the gun thing, and Sam can kind of like come at her from this place of like, "Whoa, hey, yeah. there's some real issue here." And like, why didn't why wasn't this the conflict from the get go? You know, why wasn't why wasn't yeah. it made more substantial instead of just oh, this girl beat me up. It, you know? It's it's even it's literally below like the typical both sidesy garbage that we you know typically react to poorly. Right. Like the show it's just playing on this weird fragility stereotype yeah. that just like awful. Yeah. Ugh. It's uh, so okay. Getting past all that, <laughs> uh, we then get into our second main plot of the episode, which is uh, President uh, Nimbala from do they they make they up a country meant, so oh, is he is he ecuador uh, equatorial kundu or whatever yeah equatorial kundu it's supposed to be like yeah, the, like it's a fictional african nation yeah. you know it, you know insert whatever african nation the equivalent you want of the it to central african in your republic mind. or whatever. yeah like congo yeah. or zimbabwe yeah. or whatever you want it to be essentially um and so he is here to meet with pharmaceutical executives to discuss a way to get uh, AIDS medication into his country because they're having an AIDS epidemic. Uh, and so this is our, I would call it the main plot of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, our, you know, the, the title is named after a line Ainsley says, I'd argue this is sort of the big substantial bit of the episode and it ties in big to the ending, which we'll get to. Yes. Um, but so while they're in the, they're having the typical meeting room scene uh, and Toby and, um, Josh are there, uh, as well as um, the Kundu president, his translator, and the farm executives. Uh, there's a note I want to make here is I really enjoy that, like, the president keeps calling out the pharma dude for, like, hey, stop interrupting me, yeah. asshole. Like, like it's just... Uh, and obviously the pharma guy is written to be as assholish as possible. <laughs> uh, and, the you know, the guy doing... The acting does a great job in the same way, like, the kid who played King Joffrey did a fucking great job of, like, I believe it. I believe this man is an asshole. Yeah. Good, good work. This, this actor played, his probably most famous role was he was Dean Acheson in 13 Days, which is the movie about the Cuban Missile Crisis. And he oh. did an awesome job in that. I think his name's, his last name's Karyu, I think. But he was also, he played, I think, a, a priest, uh, I seem to remember, in Murder, She Wrote. Anyway. Oh. Okay, so, then. Side note. Like, recurring character or yeah. just a one-off episode? Uh, he was on, like, several times, so... Oh, neat. I, I love Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> yeah. They have, uh... Rip, uh, rip in uh, peace, oh, Angela Lansbury. 
Yeah, you did great work. Um, so this is this is our main plot: is them kind of going back and forth about negotiations about the price of this medication, and uh, constantly bringing up the fact that like, hey, this shit sells for cheaper in other countries. What the fuck? And just like you know, and basic questions that cut to the heart of like, why why are you pursuing your this profit motive instead of helping save my people's lives? Uh, and there's no, there's literally no defense from the pharmaceutical industries other than, well, bottom line. Yeah, it's it's a bottom line argument. And I mean, so this was at the time AIDS in Africa was sort of the cause celeb because mm-hmm. Bill Gates yeah. was had had yeah, there's a come few out of the nineties elements extremely successfully, on. and that was his thing was dealing with both um, <laughs> chartering schools and curing AIDS in Africa. Right, um, and has been you know sort of inserted in that whole thing for quite some time. Um, yeah, and there's if you haven't listened to the citations needed episodes about Bill Gates, I highly recommend highly them. recommended. Um, yeah, so this is and just kind of. Speaking to the issue generally, like this has always been a, an issue with profit mm-hmm. motive in healthcare provision because right. your IP laws in the United States particularly are so ironclad and frankly barbaric that it's like that there is no say for either the government or frankly the, the sick people in the negotiation. Um, mm-hmm. And this is frankly to the show's credit the both sidesing of this issue comes out and this is my master's in public health talking <laughs> the, the both sidesing of the issue comes out pretty um realistically accurately yeah, accu- yeah, accurately. yeah. i don't i don't think they're being inaccurate with this depiction in any way shape or form i think i think conversations like this probably do happen or yeah. or did happen or you know and still do but you know now about other types of medication but it, it does just sort of belie the the lie that like we can do healthcare with a profit motive. Like it's just not possible. Yeah, it's fundamentally. This is what it leads to. Fundamentally, it leads to these. Yeah, it leads to these fucking Sophie's Choice moments of like, well, we could save a bill, you know, billions of lives with pills that cost us literal pennies to make, um, but. On the other hand, a shitload of money, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Like a shitload. <laughs> yeah, and even, um, so again, kind of the example, I, I, I wrote a paper about this in school where it's like um, Merck owns a patent on a particular um, antifiloriasis drug uh, that goes to treat people who are already infected um, with its river blindness is the common name of the okay. disease. And so they own this patent and have basically taken that and turned it into a donation program. So they actually, they aren't even selling the drug mm-hmm. to promote this program and to help these countries treat their public health crises. But because they are a corporation, they underpin and fund that donation program with the utterly rapacious profits that they net from, I don't know, every everything other, else yeah, every one of yeah. their <laughs> Products. Every other and profit motive. The argument that the guy makes, again, quite accurately, is that the the drug itself and almost like the cost of it isn't the issue. It's the distribution and infrastructure that underlies the. I mean, frankly, right. these challenging bits of geography. Right, and this is and this is an accurate problem to bring up, but it doesn't excuse the fact that you're still making a giant profit well, off medicine. And also, it's a very convenient problem to bring up because 
heck, you're just a lowly old multinational billion right. dollar what corporation. What can we do what about it with do? our billions of dollars? Yeah. You know, we couldn't go in there and fix the infrastructure ourselves to ensure that, you know, or we, we couldn't, this drug actually gets delivered the way we want it to be. Yeah, we, we couldn't have our assets forcibly seized. Yeah, oh, certainly. Yeah, well, certainly not. <laughs> I mean, if we're just talking pie in the sky yeah. here, like, but so just, anyway, and this know, is like this is nationalized. They, yeah, <laughs> they, and they Point, points of bird in the sky, yeah. nationalized. And frankly, there are there are ongoing successes in this realm. Like Jimmy Carter's entire post presidency, when he's not building houses, has been going to like literally eliminating diseases. In tropical right. countries, and he's had the world. spectacular yeah. success, but that is a particularly unique sort of confluence of international cachet, political influence, and wealth that just happened right. to be bent in a benevolent overlord type of direction. Right, and we can't uh, put our hopes on fixing all of society's ills on that the right benevolent billionaire will come by and make it their pet passion project. Exactly. Like relying on uh, the largesse. That's, that's no way to run a fucking society. <laughs> relying on the largesse yeah. of CEOs. I mean, might as well just be call them dukes and duchesses and get it over with. Yeah, it's like, why don't we just rig up a dartboard full of causes <laughs> and we'll have a couple billionaires throw darts and those are the ones we get fixed. Yeah. All right, that's a good way to run a society <laughs> as any I can think of. Yeah, a- absolutely. And so this is sort of the, in the show, this issue is an interesting they, they, yeah and they don't really come to a, a deep resolution about it they do kind of get to this like i don't even want to call it centrist but you know they do get to a compromise position where uh, you know the u.s can offer uh certain loans that will add up to like a billion dollars for for drug development and also debt forgiveness uh as well um in exchange for um what basically just like not pressuring the pharmaceutical companies anymore? Um, I mean, frankly, when if you read through it, it's like they offer a bunch of World Bankish solutions. And it's like, oh, right. well, instead of having your people die in droves, we're just basically going to put you in debt peonage and uh, right. steal all your natural yeah, resources. Yeah, like they're not solving the problem <laughs> at all. It's it's a total Band-Aid solution, yeah. obviously, well, and, because and, the actual solution here is just fucking provide the medicine. And, and maybe just instead of loans, how about you just give them money? Or also that, or maybe yeah. put the put the military industrial complex to work like the Romans yeah. fucking did. You know? Yeah, it, building in like investing green, you know, infrastructure for them and everything. This is, I mean, this is at this point, if they invested in infrastructure, it wouldn't be green because it was two thousand or whatever, and no one really actually gave a shit. That, <laughs> yeah, uh, like not like we give a shit now. But um, yeah, and I mean, it's, it's yeah, that I mean that. I've, uh, you know, there's there's more to go into, but I feel like we've done a pretty good job summing up this particular subplot, uh, aside from the ending, uh, which we will cover. But let's take a quick break here uh, and cover the last remaining bits of this episode. All right. And so the third major sort of subplot of this episode, and this one, this episode is interesting because all the subplots are kind of delineated pretty, pretty well. And there's very little overlap other than Ainsley and CJ. Uh, at the end of her subplot. Uh, but CJ uh, has a new reporter come up to her who says, hey, I'm covering for some guy from this Cleveland paper. Uh, I have a question about drilling equipment being sold to Iraq. Uh, do you have any info on that? And CJ goes, no, I don't, because grand jury investigations are secret. And then kind of has a moment of like, oh, shit, should I have said that? And freaks out a- for a second and then tells the guy, nope, 
never mind. It's fine. Uh, and then just runs off and has, like, a panic attack for the rest of the day, gets no sleep the next night, and is, like, constantly freaking out about this until Ainsley comes in uh, the next day uh, after her uh, meeting with Leo and tells CJ that, no, just informing someone that there's a grand jury investigation is not a crime. You're fine. Uh, and it's just a very... It's a weird thing because it's such a simple and obvious thing for CJ to check into, and she has a staff that can do this for her, and it's basically they just write CJ to be dumb and incompetent to make Ainsley look more competent. Yeah, and, and it's, impressive. It, it's just like, and when when you when you mention it's just it, like the same. It's thing. just like yeah. the same thing. We are putting these characters. We're writing them against type to put them in service of developing Ainsley Hayes as a character, which a new is, character, which is right. And there's a okay. there, you can set up her. You can set her up as a like competent, cool character in a different way, uh, other than just like badly writing your main cast. You yeah. know. Yeah. There's, you know, like overturning the, uh, the work the scene, you've been doing. The scene with Leo and her, I think, is a great example of setting her up as a character where you get to you find out some tidbits about her. You see how she reacts to like a stressful, unusual situation. And like you see, she's, you know, fast with her wit and quick with like a comeback and stuff like that. Yeah. And, like, that's a much better way of setting up this character, and it doesn't make Leo look stupid. In fact, it makes Leo look better because it's, again, it's a moment of levity for a character that is often right. portrayed as, like, the curmudgeonly uh, like, Yeah, and John guy. Spencer gets some nice, like, you know, humor moments exactly. in it. And, like, yeah, if, if any, exactly. It's a great point. It makes Leo look better mm-hmm. for, it, whereas both with Sam and CJ, they had to make them look stupider or worse to make <laughs> Ainsley look better. And it's... It's weird. Well, it's the, just, it, I, and it's bad writing, I think. And what's what's sort of like, and I've had mixed feelings because Ainsley's solution, going to CJ about it, is literally what we have sort of been frustrated by <laughs> at times in this show. Yeah. Where it's just like, well, actually, this is what I'm an expert at. This is the power that I have. So I'm just going to fucking do this. And right. here's your solution. Use it. Boom. Right. Like, there is no equivocation. There's no both sides in this thing. It's like, yes. actually, CJ, you're wrong. Here's what you yeah, do instead. Here, here's the right answer. Do this. Yeah. Do you know, no both sides of it. No political calculus. Mm-hmm. Just here's the correct answer. Here's what you should do. Yes. And that's great and well done. But again, this is something CJ probably should have figured out two minutes after the conversation <laughs> when she went back to her office and said, hey, Carol, uh, is mentioning a grand jury investigation illegal? Yeah. And Carol goes, I don't know. I'll call the council office. And Carol finds out the answer two <laughs> minutes later, tells CJ, and boom, there we go. And we clean like, up like six minutes of screen time to right. ostensibly write other better things. Now, I will say <laughs> I like there's a lot of good. Allison Janney work in this episode uh, the, the scene after she admits to Sam that she got no sleep the night before and is just kind of like lost in her own <laughs> n- non-sleep thought brain yes. is like some really good stuff uh, her yelling at Leo when Leo tells her that they're hiring Ainsley Hayes is really good stuff yes. uh, even Sam gets in on that where he gets to yell a bit <laughs> in front of people too um, and as I mentioned before the whole scene with Leo and Ainsley where he actually pitches her the job is really good and I, I want to take the this little clip here just because it tickles me so much the fact that i may not look like some of the other republicans who have crossed your path does not mean that i am any less inclined toward here it comes did you say offer me a job yes associate white house counsel you'd report to the deputy white house counsel who reports to the white house counsel who reports to me i'm sorry 
a job in this White House? You want a glass of scotch? <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> um, it's like, and again, the, the interaction there is exactly what you are looking for, like dramatically right. with a new character. And, here, and, and they do another good bit of setting her up later when with her Republican colleague mm-hmm. friends. Is that like, and here's a, that's a great way because you can shit all over these Republican colleague characters because they're not our main characters. Who cares if they look stupid? Yeah, exactly. You know? I think that contrast alone was what set me off about this because the you can and I literally wrote this out the Republican caricatures they're heavy-handed for a reason because right. it opens the door for her like little patriotic soliloquy right of then like no these people aren't that bad and you know yeah that and, whole bit and and that works well because we don't need to right. identify with or care about these again, characters ever it's again it's a good way of building up her character of like look she care you know she's she has enough integrity to to understand <laughs> that like these Democrats aren't the enemy, they're decent people, you know, like, and that's really, that's the West Wing in a nutshell. Is <laughs> yeah. This is the, this is the mythical, sensible Republican that they can all fucking idolize and, and worship. Well, so who is, who's willing to work across the aisle. Well, so speaking of this, like there is that scene at the end where she squares off with Sam and Josh and mm-hmm. like at this point, as I had been watching, it'd be about 30 minutes, 35 minutes of the show. And they're doing a very good job of, like humanizing this character, putting her in a little bit out of her depth, you know, getting some right. humorous moments with the chief. Yeah, we get we get we get some sympathy yes, for her sympathy. just because she's yeah. the underdog yeah, yeah, yeah. going into the oh, the White House as a Republican. And you know? and then we just veer into these monstrous Republican talks. Yeah. Points. Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> so let's fucking I need a clip here of her bitching about fucking free lunches. You think because I don't want to work here it's because I can get a better gig on Geraldo? Gosh, let's see if there could possibly be any other reason why I wouldn't want to work in this White House. This White House that feels that government is better for children than parents are, that looks at 40 years of degrading and humiliating free lunches handed out in a spectacularly failed effort to level the playing field and says, let's try 40 more. This White House that says of anyone that points that out to them that they are cold and mean and racist and then accuses Republicans of using the politics of fear. This White House that loves the Bill of Rights, all of them, except the second one. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. Degrading. Oh, it's so degrading to be able to eat today. Yeah, those what? damn kids oh and they're trying to be nourished. Holy shit. Like, it, it's so funny because this is what people talk about when they say like, and and this is a mask slipping moment. Like, suddenly the mask slips and here's here's the what being a Republican really means. Yeah. You know, like, fuck these kids who, who need food. <laughs> like, holy shit. And and you want to work with her? Well, and and so the the thing that which again is so telling, it's like the thing that strikes a nerve is when she starts talking about guns and right. Sam and, and Josh, it gets personal. Yes, exactly. Because, you know, because a shooting just happened. Yes, exactly. It's like if it's in the forefront. It wasn't of our, personal before that. Yeah, if it's in the forefront of our mind, now we care about this. Now right. we are invested in this. Otherwise, oh, I don't know. We're not going to challenge this. At, like we're we're not going to stand up against these talking points at all. But as soon as it comes down to fucking guns, and frankly, the most moronic and identity politics horseshit perspective on right. Second Amendment issues, on gun ownership, all this stuff, right? Is of turning it literally into just the culture war thing of you yes. just don't like people who like guns. Yeah, and 
a it's it's projection on both sides <laughs> yeah. in, in this particular uh, argument because yeah, both of them are absolutely. idiot libs about fucking an armed pop like an armed populist or whatever and you know we don't really need to go down like the SRA <laughs> way sure. of thinking about guns here but anyway it's just like yeah whole... but like Sam Sam wants to institute assault weapons ban 2.0 essentially <laughs> like yes. completely missing the fucking point yes so and like just the whole framing of it is you've spent a 30 minute arc building this character into a sympathetic one and then mm-hmm. we just... And then it's all... The mask slips and it's all stripped away. And it's like, oh, wait, she was a Republican. They did keep mentioning that, yeah. you guys. It's like, they, they are monsters. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you really want to hire her when there's like a gajillion <laughs> other Democratic people who would love to work in the White House Counsel's office? Like... It's it's this it's this idiotic idea of if we keep some smart opposition people around, and this is like this goes back to Sam writing the Oppo research like about uh, charter school or whatever. Oh like, yeah. Well, yeah. why don't you just have you know people on your own party do that like you did with Sam? And what's like, her face? Mandy why do you fired. have to bring an actual Republican in who has these monstrous beliefs? Mandy functionally got fired for writing opposition work. Right, like, absolutely. <laughs> what, what the fuck? And, and she was just an independent political consultant. <laughs> and so, and they also like they give it away immediately because the president at one point says something like, "Well, she can be around. Well, I don't know. We'll just stuff her in the council's office somewhere." Right. So, so like he doesn't actually he doesn't care. actually want to do what they are trying to do because he then just you thinks give it's her a, a cool voice. symbolic thing to do of like maybe we hire one Republican and it shows how we can reach across the aisle uh, and that then yeah. that's the show in the nutshell you yes know? exactly like, and it, it keeps coming back to this where it's like well we don't actually have the strength of our convictions so we're just going to do all this shit performatively and right, not get anything because done. it'll look good it'll yeah. probably pull well you know like that's what he's thinking in the back of his mind I don't think anyone explicitly says it but I'm sure he's he's thinking like oh it'll pull well and they say, like, wow, ooh, Democratic White House hires a Republican. <sighs> yeah. So that is sort of like how we we end up with Ainsley Hayes with this, sort again, sort of like a, a reaction and soliloquy to her lobbying friends at, you know, mm. at dinner where it's established right. that she's one of the good ones. And she believes right. in the United States of America and not petty yeah. partisan bullshit or whatever. Right, and there's a nice little moment where one of her Republican colleagues, the moment before she comes up, is kind of talking some shit about her <laughs> being, like, oh, just attractive and, like, a TV sex kitten. Another like, mask not slipping being... thing. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> and, like, but she doesn't hear it because she's still walking up. It's one of these, like, talking behind someone's back moments. And, like, again, this is fine because these are throwaway Republican adversaries and these are not our main characters. Yeah. So it's it's fine for the, them to be hypocritical assholes. Yeah, exactly. And stupid. And just, like... But, yeah, and all of these things are are leveraged, you know, on kind of a rewatch and a critical view of this episode. Yeah. It becomes a, just, extremely, the entire thing is about building Ainsley. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time I watched this, just kind of, you, you kind of just let the show watch, wash over you if you're not kind of viewing it critically. <laughs> and you just think of the, the good bits, like, you know, the thing we laughed about earlier with the, you want a scotch? Like, that's funny. And you just, your brain just kind of mulls it all over and goes like, oh yeah, there were some funny bits. Ainsley's great, yeah, you and know? Yeah, like Charlie dunks on the president, you know. Oh by, yeah. <laughs> which I'm also going to include the clip of because it's yes, pretty so fucking good. good. Charlie, I want to hire a woman whose voice I think would fit in nicely around here. She's a conservative Republican. You think I should do it? Absolutely, Mr. President, because I'm told that theirs is the party of inclusion. 
Yeah. So like, <laughs> I, I wrote in my notes, I wrote Charlie from the rooftop here, just yeah, like, the president in the Oval Office. Fucking owned. <laughs> God damn. Um, all right. So I think that covers mostly everything. Then I just want to get to the last bit here where all of a sudden the episode just goes like hard oh, downer off the rails. Like, out of nowhere, we, we, you know, we have no intention that there was instability in this man's country other than just, you know, the actual AIDS crisis that we've been talking about. But, you know, there's been no intention, you know, no, no one has been talking about, like, a potential coup or, like, the armed insurrections that are actively ongoing or anything. But suddenly we find out that while he's been having all these meetings, his country has, in fact, gone and done a coup, uh, has killed his uh, brother, two sons, kidnapped his wife, taken the airport, the TV station, and he will be killed if he returns back to his country. And, like, this all comes out of nowhere in the last fucking five minutes. And so, like, in the interaction with the president, it's almost, again, it feels like the it's, show is taking so liberties like, to put Bartlett on screen some more. So we can we can literally have him well, deliver not only this that, news. Yeah, well, it's it's partially that, and it's partially Ainsley gets to watch all this happen mm, and mm-hmm. see, like, oh, look how impressive and commanding he's being in this moment uh, when he's breaking all this hard news to this man about how shitty everything is going in his country for him just because we narratively wrote everything to go to fucking back <laughs> in the last two minutes. Look, like, it's just the, bad. The, the, and, and sort of the glib invocation of these particular issues is just horrifically Orientalist. And actually, the more yes. I thought about this, it's just like, the it's more angry the most I American get. depiction of just like, Africa, you know, <laughs> they just have problems happen constantly. Like, you know, Africa. Like, and you can like practically see like the, the racist, like bone in nose shaman image, like playing a drum in the background and being like, Africa, <laughs> it's where they have coups and they don't have enough to right. eat and they've yeah, got like, AIDS. It, Right, yeah. It's it was one thing when we were maturely discussing discussing the AIDS crisis in this man's country on like a mature intellectual level, and then all of a sudden it's just like, no, shit went real bad. Everyone's dead. You're gonna get killed. And, and there's the, sort of the other thing where it's like they keep bringing fucking Norman Borlaug back, which again I will give it to them that oh, it is oh, very the, oh the the wheat grain yes, bullshit. It's very yeah. time capsule because that was like the big it was that and I wrote here it's extremely Fukuyama. Like right. Borlog talk is end of history as Right, hell. as in there, we've we've solved all the problems. Yes, you know. Exactly. And you know, obviously at this point in time there's no discussion of like any sort of carbon energy externalities, soil right. health. Like it's just straight up no. pennywise pound foolish calorie management. Right. Like from and again, an extremely frankly unnecessary i was gonna say unnecessarily unnecessary invocation of this issue why do we yeah, have to bring so up weird. we didn't we didn't have to yeah we didn't have to do any of this we didn't have to bring up borlog we didn't have to decide that a coup happened in his country in the last two minutes out of nowhere Again, like, it gets no build-up. You would think, like, the meeting before would have gotten interrupted with, like, an aide coming in and saying, like, hey, we've heard some, you know... There's whispers of, yeah. Right, yeah. Like, you think we would have gotten an early heads-up. It literally comes out of nowhere, and that's why it's so jarring. Yeah, and and again, it's not... It's only this, this much of it isn't even, if we're looking at this episode as a whole... That has almost nothing to do with building Ainsley Hayes as a character. <laughs> We're just going to have right. these these guys show up to talk about, okay, we frame up one issue, great. And then we spend 10 minutes at the end being like, oh, these guys are going to die. Cool, mm-hmm. these guys died. Spoiler. You know, like, what the yeah. fuck? 
Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> just utterly bizarre. And you know, we'll we will deal uh, with foreign policy. I do want to shout out. Yeah, I do want to shout out the actor who plays President Mbala. His name is uh, Zakez Moke. Apologies if I pronounce that wrong, but he does really good work. I just want to say, like his his character is written and treated terribly, but the actor himself. Uh, I think does excellent work throughout the entire episode. Yeah, I think you mentioned earlier that I think one of the like the instrumental parts of his personality is when he's in these discussions with these frankly takes big white shit. orientalist white guys yeah. and he takes absolutely no shit. It's fucking great, yeah. you know. It's so great to just like have someone calling them on their shit to their face and be like, "Don't fucking interrupt me. My people are dying, asshole." Yeah, like also, like I'm the president of a like a, I'm a democratically elected president like, of a country. I have lives, you know. <laughs> I have fucking lives I'm responsible for here. Don't you fucking treat this flippantly? Yeah, like, like your your shareholders aren't shit. Yeah, like it, yeah. So he does excellent work. Um, even though the character is just sort of, and then just written off and killed in the last <laughs> moment so that Bartlett can have a moment where he looks sad for a half beat and before he goes, okay, what's next? It, it reminded me of the, like, um, God, there's, and I, I, I'm completely blanking on it right now, but there's a politician. Oh, there's another part in this show even where he says something, boy, I don't know. I think it's crime. Oh, that's, boy, yeah, I don't that's, know. Yep. That's the, uh, Bush analog. Uh, that he runs up against in the second election. Yeah, yeah, and and this is him doing that. He like takes right. the note and he's like, "Gosh, they were murdered yeah. on the airport, uh, Africa, boy. Africa. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's and, essentially what he does. <laughs> like, oh, it just utterly infuriating. And the more I th- <laughs> the more I thought through, being like, you can connect all of these sort of political topics back to this fundamental sort of we think of this entire like billions of people as just kind yeah. of throw away backwards savages. Yeah. Great. Like the, the you know, and I, like I'm fully willing to admit my ignorance on Africa, but that's the problem is yeah. that most <laughs> Americans are just as ignorant about Africa as I am, if not vastly more so. And we have these awful stereotypes of Africa because of media that, because that's the only way we've consumed Africa. <laughs> so, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll relate a brief anecdote because it's actually when I was in school doing my public health stuff, there was a guy um, in my, in one of my classes, I think it was like, uh, I don't know, a genome class or something. And he was from Mali, um, which is, for those of you who don't know, a country in West Africa. Um, hey. And we were talking one day and I asked him um, where he was from. He said, oh, I'm from the country of Mali. I said, oh, is that, um, is it, are you from Ouagadougou? And he gives me this look. He says, that's not actually the capital of Mali, but you're the first American I've ever met who knows that Ouagadougou is the capital. I think it's Cameroon. (laughs) Editor's note, Ouagadougou is the capital of Burkina Faso. Bamako is the capital of Mali. Thanks. Yeah, he's like that's it's actually a city yeah. in Africa. It's like, yeah. That's actually next door. Like, you're good. You're good enough to go on Jeopardy with that kind of shit. Like that, you'll beat the pants off of most of America. And, and it's just, it's just like, and frankly, that is that's kind of the operating principle. It's right. People in this country know know nothing about the rest yeah. of the world. Right, but think we can dictate, oh, uh, you yeah. know, our will however we want. Um, but yeah, I think that kind of brings a close to this particular episode. Um, I think we hit everything we wanted to talk about. I have no, yeah, I, I have no good, last man. thoughts here. Great. Um, so our next episode is going to be 
and it's surely to their credit. Mm. Um, I remember the the reason that episode is called that. That's this is the one where they sing Gil- Gilbert and Sullivan in her new office. Ah, uh, yes. Um, More yeah. Ainsley. Mm. Yeah, which is just like, boy, this is the <laughs> Gilbert and Sullivan is like I guess the pre Hamilton class signifier of you know <laughs> I went to Ivy League or yeah. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the sideshow bob of like, yeah. classic bars. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man uh so that'll be fun i'm looking forward to that uh in the meantime feel free to drop us a comment in our thread in c-spam or if you found us a different way through soundcloud you can shoot us an email at the worst wing 69 at gmail.com nice nice uh speaking of 69 and nice citations needed is coming up on their 69th episode (laughs) which they said they are intentionally devoting to a lighter topic so that when people inevitably reply nice when the episode is posted it won't it won't seem barbaric they've been they've been prepping for the that's some planning you know and i think we need a plan like that for our 69th episode as well because although we're kind of we're forced by the show i guess the the guy was talking Um, about adam was talking about it for like three weeks in advance being like I can see it coming. I mean, he knows. He yeah. knows his audience, you know. <laughs> that's 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 some good self-awareness there. Yeah. <laughs> all right, y'all. So, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, we'll listening. See you all. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Right, bye. But don't ask me to come on